Sunday Showcase, highlighting some of the best audio storytelling found anywhere. All right here on the Mutual Audio Network. The following audio drama is rated PG for parental guidance. Welcome to another episode of Project Audion, recreating classic radio drama with voice actors from coast to coast. Hello, I'm Larry Groby with the Generic Radio Workshop. You know, once when a boy said he wanted to be an engineer when he grew up, he wasn't talking about circuits. He was talking about this, a steam engine. The transportation miracle that was the railroad was central to American life for much of the 19th and 20th century. Songs and stories were written about them. Whole towns lived and died based on where they stopped or not. Railroads opened up the incredible vistas of the West. America fell in love with trains and the men who ran. Which is why the radio adventure series Escape, that promised to free you for world of today, set one of its early adventures in the West and the race to get the mail to California. And when they did this show in 1947, the actual age of steam engines itself was well on its way to becoming history. Come to think of it, in 1947, the age of network radio drama was soon to be on its way out too. But good storytelling, that's timeless. So join us now as Project Audion's transcontinental voice actors recreate for the first time in 75 years the escape telling of The Run of the Yellow Mail. Did you back the wrong team in the World Series? Worried about the United Nations? Want to get away from it all? CBS offers you Escape. You're at the throttle of a speeding locomotive, screaming around the curves of a mountain gorge, racing against time with death at your shoulder. You're the engineer of the Yellow Mail. The Columbia Broadcasting System and its affiliated stations present Escape, produced and directed by William N. Robeson, and carefully plotted to free you from the four walls of today for a half hour of high adventure. Tonight, we escape to a yesterday of the West, to the world of Casey Jones, and to a legendary railroad history as Frank H. Spearman tells it in his famous story, The Run of the Yellow Mail. They remember him out west, where the rocky mass of the continental spine bulks menacing across the broad path of the plains. 
There, where the great railroads begin the slow, painful climb up through the granite needle eye of the narrow passes, threading them with a fragile filament of hard-driven steel. There, where the roaring, speeding monsters of the flatland hesitate and gather breath and then inch slowly up the face of the first range, carefully picking a footing around the awesome bends, skirting the death trap canyon. It is there they know him. In the tents of the Sioux on lonely nights, he's remembered. Listen, Jimmy the Wind. At an isolated relay station high in the lonely elevations, an operator pauses at his key. Hey! That one's highballing like Jimmy the Wind. And on a cold winter's night, when the wind is howling and rattling the windows of the roundhouse, the old-timers, warming their toes at the potbelly after a trick on the switches, like to tell the young wipers, Aye, and this was a right night for Jimmy the Wind. Jimmy the Wind? Who's he? <laughs> you ain't heard of Jimmy the Wind? Well, now, <laughs> that's quite a story. <laughs> quite a story. Aye, and it is quite a story. They remember it still out west, out between Bad Axe and Medicine Bend, at Lonely Crockett Siding, at Bear Dance and Rucker Station and Peace River. It's well remembered west of McLeod and on the flats of Spider Water. In fact, all along the Western Division. Yes, out there, the story of Jimmy the Wind is a legend. Jimmy Bradshaw wasn't always a legend. There was a time when he was just a plain Irish lad not long over from the old country. He started out at the bottom, in the roundhouse at Medicine Bend, back in the days when ten-wheelers weren't even dreamt of. He worked his way up slowly through wiper and oiler and brakeman and fireman, until finally he had an engine of his own. He was an engineer of a slow freight, and he didn't like it very much. He was constantly complaining to Doubleday, the master mechanic, his boss. Ninety-six years. Ninety-six years, Doubleday. It seems a good while to wait. Come now, Jimmy, you're exaggerating. Oh, I'm not. In the regular course of events on the Mountain Division, it will take me ninety-six years to get on a passenger run. I'll be plugging the gray hairs and the grave on an old freight train. Even when I get to the right side of the Jordan, there'll be something like a half a century between me and a fast run. Got your rights, ain't you? I haven't, I haven't. There's younger men than me and on the fast runs. They got in on the strike. I told you that a hundred times. We can't get up another strike just to fix you out on a fast run. I don't see why you want it anyway. Oh, because I'm still young and ambitious, and fast ones are for such as me. I'm tired of sitting, sidings, waiting, watching the passengers highballing past me, then creeping out 25, 20 miles an hour behind them. Oh, it's humiliating for a young man. There's nothing of the kind. Hang on to your freight. There's better men than you in Ireland up to their belts in the bog, Jimmy. Oh, is that so? Well, just the same. I'll have a fast run here when you're dead. <laughs> Maybe. But I'll be alive a good while yet, my son.
There wasn't another engineer on the division who dared talk to Doubleday like that. Jimmy had a legitimate grievance, all right, but his talks with Doubleday always ended that way, and Jimmy thought they always would. But that was before he became a legend. That was before the run of the Yellow Mail. The first rumors about the Yellow Mail reached the Mountain Division just as winter was setting in. Washington had never been very progressive about improving the transcontinental mail service, and of course, airplanes hadn't even been invented yet. But they put in a postmaster general by mistake who wouldn't take the old song. And he called the railroad men together and laid down the law. The managers called into the superintendent, and the upshot of that was superintendent neighbor of the Mountain Division called in Doubleday. It's a new mail train, uh, the Yellow Mail, and the plan is to put it into the coast a day earlier. A day? <laughs> I suppose it's possible. What are they giving us in the east? Uh, Pennsylvania promised 65, including stops from New York to Chicago. Hmm. Burlington promised 70 from Chicago to McLeod. And what about us? Bucks promised them 65. 65? 65 miles an hour through the Rockies? That's what we're down for. The Postmaster General was very pleased. <laughs> well, he should be. It's impossible. Well, it can't be. Buck's promised, and it's worth a lot of money to the road. But in the mountains, with 6% grades and 40-degree turns, Buck had no business making such a promise. He had to. They've always turned their noses up at the Western Division, always put the blame on us for slowing them up. Now we've got to show them. It's mostly up to you, Doubleday. You've got to get the engines in shape. When? We've got 90 days before the test run. That test run has got to be perfect. We can have accidents and delays once the contract is signed, but nothing can happen to spoil that test run. Do you understand? I understand. We'll be ready. Well, when the news got out to the roundhouse, it caused plenty of excitement. 65 miles an hour average through the Rockies. It sounded miraculous in those days. As a matter of fact, it's not much more today. Jimmy Bradshaw blinked his, blinked his eyes when he heard it. Now that was something. That was a fast run. He took to hanging around the shops and watching Doubleday's crews tinker with the engines. The whole division held its breath while Doubleday nursed and groomed those ten-wheelers, the pride of the line. They weren't ready till 48 hours before the time set, but when the day arrived and they rolled out onto the main line, they were beautiful to behold. Jimmy said as much to Oliver Solvers, the engineer. I'd give a year of my life to be riding with you, Oliver. <laughs> She's a beauty, eh, Jimmy? Oh, the word ain't enough. How fast do you figure she'll go? Oh, well, uh, fast as any engine made, I'll say that. Glory! Would be a wonderful thing. I envy you, Oliver. You taking her down to Piedmont now? That's right. That's where we pick up the yellow mail. I bring her this far. Hawksworth takes her on to Bear Den. On the nearest I'll come to the run of the Yellow Mail is the platform at Piedmont. Oh, you'll be there to see us off? Oh, yes. I'm due there that morning with a freight. 
A slow freight. <laughs> Too bad, Jimmy. Too bad. <laughs> Jimmy Bradshaw thought he'd never felt so humiliated. He still was miserable on the big morning when he pulled his slow freight into Piedmont and saw the superintendent neighbor standing there on the platform, watch in hand, waiting for the arrival of the yellow mail. Dollar's engine was there, steam up, champing at the bit. Jimmy didn't go near the platform. He didn't even wave at neighbor. He just swung down from his cab and walked slowly toward the shops. And at that moment, fate took a hand. Fate went to work to make a legend. You're crazy, Oliver. <laughs> oh, by the almighty, I'm as right as rain. Right? Right? You're still drunk, you stupid pig-headed Irishman, you. You're drunk at a time like this. I'm not drunk, Sellers. I'm just a little seasick, but I'll pass. You can't even stand up. Now, wait a minute, Sellers. Oh, what's the matter, Oliver? It's a stupid glory shouting whiskey loving Irishman. No offense to you, Jimmy, but how can I take the yellow mail to Medicine Road with a drunk fireman? Oh, I'm not drunk. It's true I had a few at Gallagher's last night, just to be sociable, but drunk. Oh, take it easy, Steve. You'd better sit down. Um, I'm, I'm, as, I'm all right. I tell you, I, I can... Oh, Let him be. If he can't stand on his feet here, how can he sling coal in the cab of the yellow mail? And we're due to pull out any minute. The yellow mail? That's right. I told him I did at Gallagher's last night. Told him that we'd be pulling stamps right off the letters when we hit them hit foothills. You talk too much. And you drink too much. Jimmy, what am I going to do? I don't know. Sollers. Sellers, hurry up. Why aren't you and Horrigan out there in the cab? The yellow mail is due in two minutes. Here, what's this? Uh, <clears throat> it's uh, Steve Horrigan, sir. He's uh, not feeling too good. Let me see. You mean he is feeling too good, don't you? Horrigan, you're drunk. No, sir. Just seasick. I'll be all right. You'll be all right when you sleep it off. I'll have plenty to say to you, my lad, but right now there's no time. You'll have to have another fireman, Solace. Who can we get? Uh, I, I, I don't know. Uh, there's, um... Oh, oh, uh, how about uh, me, sir? I, I haven't fired for a spell, but, uh... Aren't you tired, Jimmy, after your run? <laughs> tired? No. I'm fresh as rainwater. Put me on, neighbor. I'll never get fast any other way. Doubleday wouldn't give me a fast run in a hundred years. Well, isn't there a fresh fireman around? Oh, Mr. Neighbor, put me on and I'll plant sunflowers on your grave. All right, there's no time to argue. Get in there. Get in and fire her. And if you don't give Solace 210 pounds every inch of the way, I'll set you back to wiping. When you get to Medicine Bow, you can tell Doubleday that those are my orders. As Jimmy and Sollers ran out to the engine, they saw 808 grinding to a stop with the yellow mail. Three railway mail cars done up in a varnished buttercup as pretty as cowslips. But there was no time to admire. 808 uncoupled and ran to the switch. He jumped to the cab and Sollers backed down for the coupling. In a minute, they were ready. 
The conductor, Adam Schaefer, ran up the line, giving the journals a quick inspection. Then he waved to Solvers. The engineer opened a notch, and the yellow mail began to roll again, a minute to the good. We're off, Oliver! And it's you and me now for the yellow mail, and nobody else on Earth. Just keep the steam up, Jimmy, and we'll make it. Oh, don't you worry about the steam, Oliver. I'll have enough to blow us all to kingdom come. It was all fun for the first two hours. There was a long reach of smooth track to the foothills, and it was only when they got into the curving grades that Jimmy began to realize what speed meant in the cab of an engine. The sickening slew, the lurch on lurch so fast the engine never righted, the shortened breath along the tension, the giddy roll to the elevation and the sudden shock of the curve, the roar of the flight on the ear and the booming purr of the maddening steel. The canoe in the heart of the rapids, the bridge of the liner at sea, the gun in the heat of the fight takes something of this. The cab of the mail takes it all. So, this is what it's like? Huh, this? This is nothing. Wait till we get to the mountain curves ahead. Did you look at your watch? Yes, I didn't believe it. We've left every mountain record far behind, Jimmy. Looks like Steve Oregon's tree might come true. We'll be pulling the stops right off the letters. Not if we waste time, Gavin. Swing away, Jimmy, and watch your steam. Uh, don't you worry, Oliver. I'm keeping her high enough to blow over the mountains. Folks at the foothill stations blinked their eyes that day as the engine with its bright yellow cars came careening by, writhing through the gorges, leaning around the curves. The gateway was passed, the desert country opened before them. The crested buttes slipped by. The yellow mail was moving. The highball sign was up and the track was clear. They flashed by Lonely Palka Station ten minutes ahead of schedule and then, very suddenly, without warning, fate stepped in again. The engine struck a tight curve. A pent-down rail sprang out like a knitting needle and... Like a great wounded beast, the varnished cars of the yellow mail stretched hideously in the alkali dust of the ditch. The beautiful engine lay prone in the cloud of its own escaping steam. And it was the end of the run of the Yellow Mail. Oliver! Oliver! Uh, Jimmy, is it you? Yes, here. I'll get you out of there in a minute, Oliver. Just lay still. Keep away from the boiler. Uh, what about you? Are you hurt? Oh, just a scratch or two. I'm all right. Ah, it's my leg, I think. Uh, I must be broken. Oh, we were lucky at that. Now, easy there. I've got you. Lucky, lucky. Ah, oh, this is the end of the yellow mail and the end of me. The general manager's test is finished. Nothing must happen, he said. Ah, accidents come later, but nothing must happen on this test. That's uh, what he said. Oh, hush, Oliver. Hush now.
Adam! Adam Schaefer! Oh, it's you, Jimmy. We're Sollers. Oh, on the bike over there. He, he's hurt. So are we all. But no one was killed, thank God. What happened? I don't know. It was so sudden. A, a split rail, most likely. This serves him right for, for trying anything so foolish. Adam, you're hurt. You'd better take it easy. Uh, no, just, just a broke arm. I, I, I've got to make sure all those mail clerks are out of the cars. Then I'll sit down and check off the run of the yellow mail. With pleasure. Oh, but, but Adam, we, we've got to get that mail through somehow. The test has to go on. Are you crazy, man? Take a look. The train. It's a total wreck. Take a look around you. We're all out in the middle of nowhere. If you can figure a way to get the mail out of here, then take it yourself. But don't bother me with your nonsense. Oh, oh Adam, I, I am looking around you. And you know what I see? Uh, look down the track, Adam. Oh, well, bless me. It's, it's, it's smoke. Oh, it's a train, Adam. A train, not a quarter mile away. That would be Crockett's sighting. And that would be a freight pulled up there to let us pass. Oh, and coming down the track there, I can see the crew running to help us. We've still got a chance at them. But Jimmy, Jimmy, where are you going? Going to go, got that train. You're, you're crazy, Jimmy. What can you do? Jimmy Bradshaw, is that you? Clee, is that your train? Yeah, yeah, is it bad? Oh, never mind. I've got to have your engine and three boxcars. What? What are you talking about, Bradshaw? Your train. It's the only chance. We'll transfer the mail to the boxcars and take it on through. Are you crazy? That's a mogul. A freight engine. Oh, don't I know that. I've been driving him for years. It'll get up and go with a throttle back and a light load. Ah, the engine will never stand it. Pound it to pieces. Oh, what difference does that make if it gets the mail to Medicine Bend? I reckon the safest thing for you to do is wait and get orders. Get orders? Get orders? Are you running an engine on this line and don't know the orders for the yellow mail? The orders is to move it. That's orders enough. Move them. But Jimmy... Oh, and couple three of those empties and hustle them back. By the great United States, any man that interferes with the moving of this mail will get his time. That's what he'll get. That's straight from Doubleday. Ah, don't you forget it. Doubleday wants his stuff hustled, all right. Everybody knows that. Oh, well then, the thing to do is move it, not stand there chewing about it. Go back and uncouple. Oh, I don't know. It's taking a chance. Oh, you needn't take any chances then. I'll pull the bags. But come on back, every mother's son of you, and help on the transfer. Now, get going. <laughs> Jimmy had to bit in his teeth. The freight engineer shook his head, but there was no standing up to Jimmy. He was conductor and engineer and general manager all in one. He backed the cars to the wreck and set every man transferring the mailbags. The wounded cared for the wounded. The dead might have married the dead. Jimmy moved the mail. But with only a handful of men, the work wasn't going fast enough. Oh, 
Come on, fellas. Hurry it up. Pass them up. Pass them up. They're doing the best they can, Jimmy. We only got a handful of cripples. No, I know, but we're losing valuable time. These bags ain't exactly light, either. Blast them stupid heathens. How can a man work with them making fun? I feel silly. Them grinning Indians, sitting there by the track and laughing like we was a sideshow. Indians? Yeah, and they, they, they was making cracks a while back about the iron horse and laughing. Where did they come from? Rode up a few minutes ago. Been sitting there watching us ever since. I've been so busy I didn't even notice. They're Sue. Must be a twenty at least. Yeah. Looks like a hunting party or something. Twenty able-bodied men? Oh, that'd make a whale of a difference to us. Let me out of here. Uh, Jimmy! Jimmy! What are you gonna do? Get up to help! But uh, Jimmy! Is he serious? I'm afraid so. Come on. Oh, which one is the chief here? You! Uh, how? Hmm. Mm. We need some help here. Uh, can you boys sling some slack, uh, sacks? Huh? I, I mean, uh, Great White Father, uh, his mailbags. You, you help move them for Great White Father? Hmm. He pay? Pay? Uh, hmm? Oh, yes, sure, yes. Uh, what, what, what do you want? Tobacco. Oh, oh, that's easy. Uh, I'll give each of your men a butt of the best plug tobacco this side of the Missouri. <laughs> You'll do it then. Oh, come on. Wait a minute, Jimmy. They can't handle the mail without being sworn in. It's against regulations. Well, then swear them in. I'll have to get my book. Oh, there's no time for that. I'll swear them in myself. Uh, raise your right hands. Do you solemnly swear to, to work for the Great White Father and get the mail moved? Say yes. Mm-hmm. All right, let's go. That day, the Great White Father had some invaluable help from his irreverent children of the Rockies. The Sioux hustled the second and third class bags, the freight crew passed the letter bags, and the least wounded mail clerks jealously handled the registered mail. With all of them working and Jimmy cheering them on, the transfer was made in remarkable time, and the yellow mail, slightly disfigured, was ready to continue its run. All right, we're ready. We'll send back help for the injured from the first station. Everybody in who's able to go. Uh, Jim, Jimmy, here's the chief. Oh, good work, chief. The great white father thanks you. He pay. Yes, sure. Uh, medicine bend. He pay now. But chief, you see. You better do something quick, Jimmy. I don't like the look in his eye. Oh, all right. Uh, you come to come to medicine bend with us. Take your men up on top of the cars and hang on. Huh? Great White Father pays there. All right, everybody. Come on. We're going. Beam up. Ready? Ready she'll ever be. Oh, then let's go. May the Lord help us.
yellow mail was on the rails again. But this time, Jimmy Bradshaw, like a dog with a bone, had the throttle. Had the first fast run of his life. And he made the most of it. But Doubleday, sitting in the telegraph office at Medicine Bow, was fit to be tied. An hour and 20 minutes. It's been an hour and 20 minutes since they passed Ponca Station. Something must have happened, sir. Happened? It's only 18 miles to Fort Rucker. They should have been there over an hour ago. Try Rucker again. I, I just talked to them a minute. Wait a minute, sir. Here's a message. Well, what is it? What uh, is it's, it? It's Rucker, all right. Wreck. The yellow mail's wrecked. I knew it. I knew it. Wrecker is sending so fast. There's something about Jimmy Bradshaw. Bradshaw? What's he doing there? Uh, something about a freight and three boxcars. Oh, my God. Don't tell me the fool has pulled his freight out of the line in front of the yellow mail. I don't know. I, I can't make it out. Rucker seems to be all mixed up. Well, get through to him. Tell him to stop Bradshaw. Pull, pull him off the line. If the yellow mail's wrecked, we gotta get a train through to them. Rucker says Bradshaw is through west of there. Oh, the fool. The fool when I get my hands on him. And I, I, I don't know what's wrong with him there. This doesn't make sense. They say something about a war party of Sioux Indians riding on top of the cars. Oh, no. I'll, I'll have that Irishman's life for this. Try Rucker again. Try to get the straight of it and, and get Peace River. Stop Bradshaw there. Get him off the line. Yes, sir. Bradshaw passed through Peace River. What? It's impossible. He couldn't have. They say he went through five minutes ago, hitting all of 70 miles an hour. 70? In a freight? Well, what's the devil going on? What, what about Rucker? What do they say? I, I can't get him. Uh, lines must be down. But the last message said Bradshaw asked for clearance through to the bend, and they gave it to him. What? Clearance? They can't do that. We've got to stop them. It's too late now. Wait, 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 wait. Here's something. It's Spider Water Station. He's just gone through there. All his journal boxes smoking. They say he's going like the wind. Jimmy the Wind. The legend was born that day. Frightened operators and paralyzed station agents all up and down the line watched hypnotized as the fearful and wonderful train jumped their switches and flashed past with Jimmy Bradshaw's red hair sticking out the cab window. It was no case of scientific running, no favoring the roadbed or easing the strain on the equipment. Uphill or down, curve or tension, it was all one. Speed had been made on the plains and in the foothills with the fancy equipment, but never speed that Jimmy Bradshaw made when he ran the mail through the canyons in three boxcars. The run from Bad Axe to Medicine Bend had never been done in less than 14 minutes, but Jimmy Bradshaw found every twist and turn of the right of way in the 11 minutes flat, a record that's still good. Doubleday was caught flat-footed. He'd barely had time to get down to the platform to see the train come slewing in. The engine sending up a shower of sparks as Jimmy set the brakes. The boxcars wrapped in a sheet of blade flamed from the melting journal boxes. The war party of Sioux enveloped in smoke and hanging on for dear life. 
It was a ride for the red men that stole around the council fires yet. They climbed hastily down as the fire brigade rushed out from the roundhouse, and Jimmy Bradshaw swung down from the cab to meet the charging Doubleday. You! You! What, what do you think you're doing? What do you mean bringing in an engine in that condition? I thought you wanted the mail. How the devil are we to get the mail with you blocking the line for two hours? Why, the mail's here in these boxcars. What? What did you say? Oh, every sack of it. Now, don't look daffy like that. I thought the best way to get the mail here was to bring it. Hmm? We're 40 minutes late, ain't we? Hey, uh, get those fires out. Get new mail cars. Uh, get men. Get everybody. There's work to do. A hundred men came and the work was done and Hawksworths pulled out of Medicine Bend with the yellow mail only 53 minutes late. And if he can't make that up, he's no good on earth. Mr. Doubleday, sir. What? Oh, there's something I want to ask you. It's about, well, uh, these ones crowding here behind me, sir. The Indians, you mean? Oh, I promised them a plug of, uh, a butt of plug tobacco and transportation back to Crockett's, Mr. Doubleday. It's a bit unusual, I know, and maybe I shouldn't have ordered on it. But if it hadn't been for them helping with the transfer, we wouldn't have got off for another hour. They chew tomahawk, uh, rough and ready preferred, and <laughs> oh, I shouldn't like to have to pay for it myself. Sir. You've been on a freight run some time, Jimmy. If you'll just take care of my uh, tobacco contract, sir, we'll call the other matter square. I'm not looking for a fast run uh, as much as I was. If we get the mail contract, and it won't be your fault if we don't, we may need you on one of the runs. Looks to me like you ought to have one. I don't want one. Don't mind me. Just fix these gentlemen up with some tobacco before they scalp me, will you? <laughs> All right, gentlemen. You needn't worry. I'll see that you get the tobacco Jimmy Bradshaw promised you. Jimmy Bradshaw, not good name. Him, new name now. <laughs> new name? Well, what is it? New name? Jimmy the Wind. Jimmy the Wind, huh? <laughs> yeah, I think that'll stick. Escape is produced and directed by William N. Robeson, and tonight brought you The Run of the Yellow Mail by Frank H. Spearman, adapted for radio by John Dunkel, with Frank Lovejoy as Jimmy Bradshaw, Alan Reed as Doubleday, and Bill Johnston as the narrator. The special musical score was composed and conducted by Cy Fuhrer. <laughs> Next week, the lantern gleams high in the North Church. The British men-of-war lie darkly on the Charles. The arresting party is marching. And you, you are in the saddle, riding hard along the back road to Lexington. With a bit of magic in your pocket and the American Revolution in the balance. Next week... Escape with Stephen Vincent Benet's exciting fantasy, A Tooth for Paul Revere. 
Good night, then. Until this same time next week, when CBS again offers you escape, this is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. Thanks for watching this episode of Project Audion. And if you only heard this episode, then head to the projectaudion.com website so you can see it in action. All our past episodes are online as well. And you can be notified about future episodes by adding your name to our mailing list. So until next time, thanks for listening. Now, you seem to me to be a connoisseur of the best of radio drama. In which case, make sure you're subscribed to the Monday Matinee Feed. There we have our weekly series of dramatic, theatrical, classic, eclectic and live radio drama. So yeah, either the main Mutual Audio Network feed for all types and genres of audio drama, or the Monday Matinee. And we'll see you there. The Mutual Audio Network. Listening and imagining together.